This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 32, pre and postnatal yoga and the secret magic of your pelvic floor. My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Jane Austen. Passionate about yoga and the transformational power of motherhood, Jane specializes in working with prenatal and postnatal mamas. She is a mom herself and has been involved with the birthing community since 1990, working as a yoga teacher, home birth midwife, doula, and childbirth educator. Jane is the founder and director of Mama Tree, a prenatal yoga school dedicated to educating yoga teachers, doulas, and midwives on how to use the tools of yoga to support pregnant women and new moms in all stages of the childbearing year and beyond. Her teacher training program attracts students from all around the world. As always, I really appreciate your support with this podcast, so if you take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter a giveaway. Athleta is continuing to support this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out, once again, a $75 shop card. If you want to know more about the giveaway, stay tuned. I'll give a bit more details at the end of the show and I'll announce the winner of the last one, so if you left the review, make sure to stick around until the end. Now, in other news, very exciting news, I'm adding another way for you to support the podcast to help me continue to produce it. I am now part of Patreon. Patreon is a platform where you can donate to support the podcast or you can become a monthly member. Donators will get shout out on the episodes and I will be forever grateful to them. And monthly members will receive exclusive content, mini shows, guided meditation, guided flows and so much more. Our first exclusive episode will be about me. So if you have any questions about myself, my practice, my teaching, if there's anything you'd like to know, send it my way by email at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on any social uh, media platform and I'll be happy to take all those questions and answer them on that episode. I'll tell you more about Patreon in the next couple episodes, but at least in the meantime, the seed is planted, you know it exists, you know it's coming, and you can start to think about it. Now, in the meantime, take a listen to this episode with Jane Austen. I'm sure you're going to love it. She is absolutely fierce. Hi, Jane. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm so happy to get a chance to chat with you. Since Jane is a San Francisco-based pre- and postnatal yoga teacher, I've never personally taken class with her, but I've heard numbers of fellow teachers raving about her, her classes, and her trainings. When I saw that she was also leading workshops on the pelvic floor, I thought we could make a great episode that anybody could relate to, mom-to-be or not. How does that sound? Perfect. Great. For listeners that don't know you very well, before we dig in our little subject of today, can you tell us about yourself, your yoga journey, and why you chose to dedicate yourself to pre and postnatal? I think it's kind of all intertwined for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. And I so appreciate the invite to come on your show and to just share a little bit about what I do, like who I am and what I do and certainly why I do it. So my name is Jane Austen. (laughs) So glad to have you. Great. Cool. Um, Yeah. So I basically have been working in women's health since 1990. Um, I moved to the city, to San Francisco back in 89, kind of discovered, uh, midwifery so supporting women through childbirth mm-hmm. so i didn't even i didn't even know what that was first of all i was like that's like this old fashioned thing right <laughs> women women used to women used to like work with midwives so 
I didn't know much about it, but once I started on my kind of discovery of of birth and supporting women, it kind of opened up this whole world for me. So I trained as a doula first, and that's basically supporting women mostly in the hospital Mm -hmm. during pregnancy, uh, childbirth, and postpartum. And um, and then that took me to midwifery. And so I trained as a home birth midwife in San Francisco. I worked at a birth center in Austin. And I did that work for many years. And, you know, I kind of got to the place where I was at a point in my life, I wanted to have my own kids. So I put the midwifery kind of aside, had two kids. My kids are 21 and 18 now. Mm. And, um, you know, kind of like all along the way, I'd been doing a little bit of yoga here and there. Nothing that I was super, like, it wasn't like a daily practice or anything like that. But I remember so poignantly and so clearly when I was pregnant and and doing some yoga and I I had this moment and I really think that this is where the seed was planted for the work that I do now mm-hmm. of just literally I'm in warrior two, Virabhadrasana two, warrior two pose. And I'm super pregnant, like at the end of the pregnancy. <laughs> and I feel like so strong and powerful and beautiful. Mm. And, you know, it just, it, that, and, and unfortunately that wasn't a familiar feeling to me. Like I just didn't even, like that wasn't really how I was manifesting in the world. And, and there was just this something in As this, a pregnant woman or as a woman in general? No, just as a woman in general, mm-hmm. you know? No, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, I, no, I love pregnant women. I've been working with them for a long time. I mean, I started working with, uh, mamas and their families when I was in my early 20s, you know, it was just always, once I discovered it, it was just like my absolute passion. But no, I think on a much more personal mm-hmm. level, I think culturally women are programmed to hate our bodies because they don't look a certain way. And I certainly was there, mm. um, you know, in my, you know, through my teen years and, and 20s and I I was pregnant with my daughter when I was 30 and there was just something so cool about that moment and mm. and it was actually like a transformative moment and like I said it was it was a seed was planted um I wasn't like oh I know what I want to do but once I my daughter was old enough and I'm like looking back and going you know looking into going back to work to midwifery I was like you know what I think I want to pursue this yoga thing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I, my yoga practice, I started practicing really regularly. My, my sister, I do have an identical twin sister who's also a yoga teacher. <laughs> I know we're like the, you know, the Austin twins. Uh-huh. And she, um, she really inspired me to dive into my own practice. And really from that place, of loving yoga, loving working with pregnant women, I kind of married the two and um, started teaching prenatal yoga. I mean, I started teaching yoga before I was even a certified teacher. This was like, uh, obviously you can't do that now, but back in the day, (laughs) back in the day, I was not a certified teacher. I just took what I knew about pregnant women and postpartum women and what I knew about yoga. And I just uh, put them together, put that, that body of information 
together and I just started teaching prenatal classes. Like I didn't do a prenatal training. I've actually never done a prenatal training. Mm. Um, you know, I developed my own out of just the work that I'd been doing. Mm -hmm. So I've, so I've been working with women, you know, all, all those years and, and, and let's see, Oh, six, I developed my mama tree, which is a prenatal yoga teacher training. And I do that twice a year in San Francisco. So my focus has always been like mamas, childbirth, postpartum. And, and what really came out of that was this understanding that there was so much misinformation mm. about women's pelvic floor and what healthy pelvic floor function looks like. Yeah. And that, that's like all that's everywhere, right? That's like just in our society at large, mm -hmm. but in the yoga world, like the, like what I was finding that people were doing and saying and teaching in the yoga world, I'm like, this is not helping women. This is actually potentially doing more harm than good. You know, some of the cueing uh, that you would hear and, and, and still do here in uh, you know, classes, just like regular public classes mm -hmm. are really cueing women to potentially, um, you know, come in and out of shapes, hold shapes in ways that are probably not optimal for her and her body. Mm. So that kind of expanded my um, scope to, to really work with all women. You know, everybody has a pelvic floor, so do men. I don't really work with men. Um, there's other people that do. That's great. I think that obviously everybody can use the benefits of yoga mm -hmm. and the information that we receive. But my focus is really working with women. So and and, and being you know menopausal, postmenopausal myself, kind of understanding what are some of the issues that come up with pelvic floor muscle function. And then how that can be addressed in the yoga practice. Mm. So it's, you know, it, it's kind of a full spectrum in yeah. terms of working with, you know, young fit women and to older women, you know, who are beyond men their menopausal years. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's kind of expanded my passion and I am always looking for information, asking women questions, doing my own research. So it's something that I'm kind of infinitely passionate about, which mm -hmm. is so cool because um, it just keeps my work really um, uh, rewarding, you know, really, really rewarding. Mm -hmm. So that's kind, of, that's kind of the overview. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> overview. We're going to get okay, back yeah. to the pelvic floor in a moment, but I want to talk a bit about pre and postnatal first. Awesome. Um, what are the needs of pregnant women when it comes to yoga or what are the benefits they can get from it? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. And, you know, there's so many different, uh, facets of yoga that, mm -hmm. and, and, and because of that, there's so many different ways that people are supported. Mm -hmm. So I always feel like whenever we're going through a time of great transition, then the yoga can really support um, in those times and, and certainly having a child, whether it's your first or your fourth or, or more, like it's definitely the practices will hopefully help you feel better physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, but what I, what I love 
most about it. Like I love all, I love the physical part. The physical part's great and it makes you feel better. Um, you know, calms you down a little bit maybe. But but really, I think the the the, the piece that is the most potent and I think potentially the most powerful for women mm-hmm. is really that that shift of the gaze from outside to inside mm-hmm. and to really go inside of ourselves and see what makes sense for us, what's true for us. What happens for many women when they get pregnant, they look outside of themselves. Like they get pregnant and oh my God, they start asking their friends and they read mm-hmm. books and they kind of like, and, and, and I'm, I'm all about women getting educated and talking to her friends and all of that, of course. But what I love, what I love so specifically about yoga is that there's this opportunity to turn in, to pay attention. And then from that place, begin to kind of know what is true for you. Because when you're pregnant, everybody's opinions are going to come flying at you fast Mm -hmm. and furious. And it's hard to kind of parse out like what is somebody else's stuff and what is actually your own Mm. truth. So what I love about yoga is it gives us an opportunity to sort of shift from all that sort of external kind of chatter, 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 people talking at us, people giving us unsolicited advice, all of that, reading books that are really uh, patronizing, patronizing, treat women like children, like pregnant women like children. Mm. You know, there's like these, you know, don't list, like, don't do this, don't do that. And, you know, and, and women who are educated or, 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 and or capable of making decisions and choices for themselves will sometimes turn away from mm. that and kind of look outside. So going inside, what are you experiencing? What is true for you? Mm-hmm. So that she can begin to trust herself, trust her instincts. And then it is my great, great face. Absolutely. That if a woman is truly listening to her own truth, that she's going to make decisions and choices for her and her baby inside of her that are going to be appropriate. Mm. And what's true for one woman is not true for another woman. So that's, I feel like that is sort of the, the, the main thing that I feel, I mean, there's lots of benefits and I can talk Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. those, of course, But But mainly you would say that emotional and mental support is about cultivating that self-awareness, that trust and our intuition. Yes, yes, Mm. yes. And and kind of reflecting back on women all the time. This is what I do in my classes. Reflect back on women that they they know their bodies better than anybody. They Mm -hmm. know their babies better than anybody anybody. So, you know, I work with about 200 women a week Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. So I've got a pretty big uh, student base and, you know, to be able to kind of hold the space where those women who come into the yoga studio for them to be able to really listen and honor their experience, you know, listen to their own experience, honor themselves. And yeah, like you said, that empowerment piece is so, um, It's so important, especially Mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I hope everybody can hear this, not only pregnant 
women, but knowing your body and being empowered in your practice should be something that every student wants to cultivate. Absolutely. And, but, but the truth is, is that maybe that's supported in classes and maybe it's, it's not. So, yeah. And, you know, I think that it's really important to honor where we are at any given moment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you're a longtime practitioner and you do all kinds of, you know, advanced postures, but you're feeling really tired one day, you know, and maybe instead of kind of push, push, push that you listen and then maybe you just back out of postures. Maybe you slow down a little bit. So yeah, it's like that kind of permission to Mm -hmm. really honor yourself where you are and not where you think you should be and not what your ego tells you you should do. You know, ego is powerful. It's really, really potent force. (laughs) And, you know, uh, we all we all have it. And anyone who says they don't probably um, is lying. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to be really realistic. I like to be really honest um, with myself and with my students. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that that's that's so um, essential. It's so essential. So do you think with that in mind that the power of the group is very important of the community and the support around you when you're pregnant? And it's not only about doing yoga in your living room to be open in your hips and stronger in your shoulders. Yeah, that beautifully spoken. I totally appreciate uh, that. And, and absolutely. Uh, and I do think so just kind of, you know, there's there's definitely like the yoginis who have a place where they practice. They've worked with their teacher for a long time. They've got a community, a sangha, you know, at the yoga studio or the gym or wherever she practices or the community center, whatever it is. So there's, there's that piece for women, you know, just in general, and then they get pregnant. And I think that going to those, continuing going to those classes can feel really, really good because it's like what she knows. Mm -hmm. But what I love about, prenatal yoga is that it's specifically designed for pregnant women's bodies. So you don't have to like modify modify postures because they're all for pregnant women. And also that community, I think that there's such a validation. Like today I had, I don't know, 30 pregnant women in my class. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's hot here. Like we were, you know, like it's hot in San Francisco right now. And so, you know, like having the women come in and talk about, oh, I'm hot and I'm grumpy and I'm sweaty mm-hmm. and I'm swelling. And, you know, I always say, hey, anybody else feel grumpy and sweaty today or whatever? And, you know, half the hands in the room go up or all the hands in the room go up. And and it's very, I think it's very validating mm-hmm. about your own experience. And like I said, I tr- I try to create a space where women can be really honest with themselves. And, you know, some women don't like being pregnant. Some women's pregnancies is awful. And Mm. to be able to kind of be in a community that understands that, yeah, you know, things are hard and my back hurts or I've got carpal tunnel syndrome or whatever it is. So we do a, a at the beginning of a prenatal class, we always do like an introduction. And somebody just says, you know, who they are, how many weeks pregnant they are. And, you know, if there's any requests, things that they want to do or anything they want to share, or, you know, I might say, what's, you know, what's going on for you today? And 
you know, some women are like, I feel great. And others are women are like, I feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And just to have a space where she can just say how she's feeling. Because, you know, people ask how you're feeling and mostly we say, fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you don't say, oh, my back is actually really hurting today. (laughs) Yeah. When someone casually asks you how you're doing, where, but, you know, in my classes, I'll say, what's, what's going on? Or, you know, what do you need today? That's one of my favorite questions to ask my students. What do you need today? And they don't have to answer that for me necessarily, but for themselves, like what, what brought you here? That's something that's particular about that class and about that community, which is great. But it, it is a different type of community. I mean, you don't have students that come back to classes regularly for years, right? Unless they come back for another pregnancy. Oh, goodness. I've got a fourth time mom in my class right now. So she's done <laughs> yoga with me through all of her pregnancies. So yeah. It, but in between, it, do you in between, lose her for a well, while? I do. I, I'll lose her for a while. Uh-huh. And, you know, maybe she's one and done and that's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, I teach the postnatal classes. So I will have women come back to uh, yoga after they have their babes. And then, you know, then they're with me for, you know, at least a few more months before, Mm -hmm. you know, things shift and change again for her. So I definitely get women in that childbearing year. um, And then maybe they have another kid, maybe they move away, you know, maybe I see them, maybe I don't. But, um, you know, there's something really profound about supporting women at such um, a a specific time in their lives at such a like transformative time like I said and you know some women and I've I've been told this many many times that you know coming to the yoga classes were like their favorite part of the pregnancy you Mm. know because they didn't feel crazy because sometimes when you're pregnant and there's nobody else pregnant around you you feel a little crazy yeah so or new moms are like, oh my God, they feel totally whacked out. And then they come into the room and you literally, I can see a, vis- a, a visible, like kind of relief sort of wash over women. And they're reminded that they're, they're actually not alone and their experiences are validated and that this space is created specifically for them. Not that they have to smush themselves mm-hmm. into a mole. Uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah, a, a, a practice or anything that doesn't really fit them, you know? Mm-hmm. So. That's great. I know yoga is part of your self-care routine. Uh, for newer or not so new moms out there, do you have tips for self-care that are either around yoga or something else? Well, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I think that if you, especially like for the new mamas, if they think, oh, I can't get to an hour and a half class, so I can't do yoga then you're not going to get much yoga in, especially <laughs> especially for new moms. So, you know, what I usually say is if you have a moment like where your kid's asleep or, you know, the house is quiet, then just roll out your yoga mat. And I say do one downward facing dog. Just like get on the mat, do a dog pose, and then see, oh, is there another pose that comes after that? And maybe... Yeah, you take a foot forward and you do a lunge and then you got to do a lunge on the other side. Maybe you step both feet forward and you do a forward fold. And so I think letting go of the idea that you have to go to, a, this is particularly for 
uh, postpartum moms, that you have to go to a class or you can't get the benefits of yoga, I think is really limiting. And one of the things I remind my mamas and tell my students all the time, when my kids were little, I literally practiced yoga at nine o'clock at night. And I know it sounds crazy, but it was the only time I had. Mm -hmm. It was the only time that I had. The house was quiet. And, you know, now you can use, obviously, online uh, classes and streaming services and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, back in the day when my kids were little, I literally used videos, yoga videos. Mm -hmm. And even as a yoga teacher, it's like, I just need somebody to tell me what to do. I'm Mm -hmm. tired. So I would pop in a yoga video, like, you know, 45 minutes max class, sometimes a half hour class. And it was amazing. Mm -hmm. So roll out your mat, do a few poses, stick a video in, you know, do a streaming site or, you know, go on YouTube or whatever um, and just commit to doing a a little bit Mm -hmm. a day, you know, just any amount, just any, any amount and let go of expectation of what you think it should look like. Cause you know, you come into downward facing dog and the baby wakes up and and you got to go tend, tend to your kid. Yeah. But, but definitely just roll out your mat. Cause that is your intention to do some self-care. That's a great tip. I know we have (laughs) teachers that teach regular class that listen to this podcast. Are there some ways for them to hold space or be supportive to pregnant or postpartum mom that come to their regular classes? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's a great, great question. And they absolutely can support women through pregnancy and postpartum. And, you know, most like 200 hour teacher trainings have um, a prenatal or Mm -hmm. postnatal component, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but unfortunately, it's usually not very much. So in my experience that if, if you're teaching regular classes, and you're finding pregnant women are coming into your classes a lot that I think it certainly serves all teachers, men and women alike, to do a prenatal teacher training. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is that you will have a much more in-depth knowledge um, and you will be able to serve those women that come into your class. You know, particularly if you notice that the pregnant women are like, showing up to your class. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know, and that's not a reality. Not everybody can do that. That said, I think being really curious about a woman's experience and, you know, being in communication with, you know, your pregnant students, ask her if it's okay for you to ask her questions. Mm-hmm. Um, ask her how the postures felt for her today. Um, definitely, you know, educating her about what are some of the, the, uh, issues that can come up. Like what we know is that women, when they're pregnant, they become really mobile in their joints. Mm-hmm. So something super, you know, easy for students to remember, for teachers who have pregnant students to remember, is that if you've got somebody who's really like really flexible person, I usually recommend that she work about 80% of her full flexibility. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that she is more, she's much more susceptible to injury if she's like kind of going beyond her point of stability. Yeah. So, and and could injure her joints. So I definitely will have uh, the women who are more like the yogini ladies and I'll just, you know, educate them. I think what you do is you give them information, 
you ask them questions and um, you be open to learn from your students. I mean, as any good yoga teacher is going to tell you is that your students are your best teachers. Mm -hmm. You are going to learn from your students. And, you know, the more you're curious about your students' experiences, the better teacher you're going to be because you will carry that insight with you as you, um, you know, continue to support your students. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned or suggested that teachers can take uh, teacher training for prenatal or postnatal. What about teachers that have reservation? Like maybe they would like to teach pre and postnatal, but they have reservation because they are not moms. They have not been pregnant and they don't have that experience in their bodies. Yeah, totally. That's a great question. You know, I did all my uh, doula work and midwifery uh, work before I had children. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I absolutely think that you can be an amazing prenatal teacher um, and postnatal teacher if you want to be, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I only think that you can't do it, uh, if you think you can't, <laughs> you know what Fair I mean? Enough. Like it's, 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 it's only limiting if you limit yourself. And, and I, you know, I had that same kind of doubt with midwifery. And I remember asking my senior midwife and I said to her, like, after I'd been doing all this studying and going to births and sitting this exam and, you know, just, this was like professionally, I'd just thrown myself into this work. And I remember saying to her kind of timidly, like, do you think, um, you know, I, I can actually be a midwife even if I haven't had kids? And she looked at me and said, I don't know, can you? <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I was a little taken aback and I was yeah. like, uh, well, yeah, I can. I've been working so freaking hard at this. Yes, I can. And, you know, it was just like, because oh, young women in particular, not even just young, women in particular will ask me that question all the time. Mm-hmm. Can I do this work if I haven't had kids? And I say, if you are passionate about it, absolutely. And some of the best prenatal yoga teachers I know have not had children. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a prerequisite yeah. at all. And the truth is, if somebody doesn't come to your class because you haven't had kids, well, then you're not your, they're not your students. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. if if that's like the deal breaker for them, then that's okay. There will be plenty of other people that will come to your classes if you are, you know, inspired to work with pregnant women. If this is your passion and supporting new moms through that transition you know, regaining strength and all of that um, that we get from the postnatal practices. If you're passionate about it and you're curious about it, uh, then I think you absolutely can. Like, mm. don't limit yourself. And I actually have, um, I've had men take my teacher training, my prenatal yoga mm. teacher training, and I. I love it when men come. I haven't had many. <laughs> I mean, I've I've trained many, 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 many hundreds of women and, you know, a handful of men. But the men that came, you know, the men that want this information, I mean, they were and are amazing. Mm-hmm. And some came because they wanted to, um, you know, just be able to support their pregnant and new mamas that came into their classes. I've had others that, want to teach prenatal yoga. I had one, one man, uh, he, 
fell in love with the the mama population, pre and postnatal mamas. He did yoga trees teacher training. He, you know, I do a I do a six hour training for that within that two hundred hour training for pre and postnatal. He was fired up about it. He was so excited about it. He took my teacher training. Um, and now he's at Yale Midwifery School. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he totally like, he was in finance, you know, like he was not like <laughs> on the path of women's no. health. And he. What wow. a shift. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't absolutely. that so absolutely. cool? Yeah. And my, my dear student and friend, Alvin, I love him. And he is just so passionate about working with mamas and he didn't limit himself to think well he's not a woman he can't do it it's like well sure he can yeah so yeah it's been really great kind of good for him watching him and in his journey Uh, yeah I'm so proud I feel like kind of a proud mama (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. that's (laughs) awesome okay let's dig in into the pelvic floor I mean it's a subject that is still somewhat taboo for some mysterious reason and is not necessarily, as you said, addressed skillfully in class. I mean, there's more than Kegels and there's more than just holding Mulabanda for an hour, right? Right. Like- yeah, way more. <laughs> way more. So why is it, I mean, you said it a bit before, but why is it important for you to really teach about the pelvic floor? Well, I think it's it's really multifaceted. And, you know, you you spoke to this very eloquently, you know, we we get a lot of misinformation and there is still taboo in a lot of different you know uh, uh, places to to really be honest about what's happening in our bodies and really for years women were just not educated i mean women are generally not educated about pelvic floor function mm-hmm. until their body goes into dysfunction yeah And it would be so amazing for all women to have an understanding of how their body works, have an understanding about how pelvic floor muscles function and how those muscles actually provide organ support, how those muscles control the sphincters, Mm -hmm. how those muscles play a huge role in our sexual function. So there's because there's sort of like that oh down there and I don't want to really want to talk about it that that there's the opportunity uh, for misinformation and miseducation so you know the idea that you know just do your kegels and everything's going to be fine or you know for pregnant well not even pregnant women any women any woman to like hold mula banda without releasing the pelvic floor mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. can be really detrimental yeah. to her health. So I think that, you know, when we look at mula banda, uddiyana banda, when we look at these practices, they were basically designed for men. Mm. And, and it's not that you don't do those practices, but understanding that where there's a time and place for those practices and where... Um, there's a time and place to actually really release and, and let go and lengthen the muscle fibers of the pelvic floor so that those muscles can be responsive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people think that like, 
you know, you want a tight pelvic floor. It's like, well, actually you don't Mm -hmm. because those muscles don't function very well Mm -hmm. if they are in constant contraction and they do need to be able to release so that you can actually get uh, a good blood flow into the tissue, but also be able to take the muscles into their, their full range as opposed to just being short. Yeah. You can contract a muscle that's already contracted. There's nowhere to go from there. There's nowhere to go from there. And if you're unable to release those muscles, then the pelvic floor muscles are not responsive. And then if they're not responsive, they're actually not doing their jobs very well. Mm-hmm. And the truth is maybe you can get away with practices that are not optimal for pelvic floor function, you know, for a long time until you can't, right? Mm-hmm. And I do know that there are many, many women in, in our culture from habitual ways of holding, uh, from from misinformation, who have um, have a hypertone in mm-hmm. the pelvic floor. They have mm-hmm. what we call a hypervigilant pelvic floor. So the last thing that woman needs to do <laughs> is mula banda, right? <laughs> Especially when preparing, yeah. if she is pregnant, to preparing for, for childbirth. Like she's got to be able to release those muscles so that that, the tissue is supple and responsive. Yeah. So there's two sides. It needs to be strong, but it needs to be supple. So yes. can you tell us how does a strong pelvic floor help us be more stable or more powerful or connect to our core? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I would say pelvic floor is the core. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you think of the core and more of a, a three-dimensional, like a cylinder. Yeah, you call it our true core. Isn't that right? The true core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I call it the true, true core. So that's the diaphragm, respiratory diaphragm. That's the pelvic floor. It's transverse abdominals. And also sometimes people will include, and I do include the multifidi, the small muscles right against mm-hmm. the spine that support the back. So, you know, understanding that that's a dynamic structure, right? And it's responsive to our breath. So... Things like breath holding or ass gripping are not going to um, help those muscles be responsive. So I sometimes equate it to, you know, in San Francisco, these high-rise buildings are actually, um, they're, they're, they're stabilized on a moving foundation, right? They've mm. got rollers so that in the event of an earthquake, there can be some responsiveness hmm. of the foundation. So it's actually dynamic. And stability for women really needs to be dynamic. And part of that is that our bodies are often changing, you know, and our mm-hmm. pelvic floor muscles are controlling three of our very important sphincters, right? Mm-hmm. Our, urethra, our vaginal opening, and our anus, of course. So having muscles that are responsive, having muscles that are toned. So you remember a toned muscle is both strong and flexible. Mm -hmm. So being able to have that movement and that suppleness in the muscles will actually just allow the entire system to function much better because a a hypertone or even low tone and the pelvic floor will absolutely affect, it will affect organ function. Mm-hmm. And, and that can absolutely affect your general health, but also just your well-being. You mm-hmm. know, if you're having, 
incontinence, like that's not a a good way to live, yeah. right? That, chronic that causes, constipation or yeah, or chronic pain, yeah, pain during sex or yeah, absolutely, all of those things, which can be uh, exacerbated by uh, pelvic floor muscles that aren't functioning properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's part of the like the whole system. Um, but it's so foundational and because we've been so, you know, miseducated <laughs> for so long that there's a, there's a lot of unlearning that has to happen. And so I teach, you know, a yoga for the true core. I teach workshops. Um, I'm doing a yoga teacher training. So for all teachers, not just prenatal teachers, anybody who wants to learn more about how to incorporate Mm. specific postures in yoga classes to either create tone in the pelvic floor by strengthening. Yeah. Well, Mm. it's in development. I haven't, I haven't, um, I'll be teaching my first one in 2020. And so it's really a culmination of all the stuff that I've, you know, gotten through experience from working with my students, with, um, uh, educating myself, research, all of that. So I think more and more people are kind of coming to the understanding that mm-hmm. un, like using yoga as a tool to help promote uh, pelvic floor uh, muscle health and, and and really the entire pelvic bowl, the organs, of course, uh, is getting more and more popular, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody said to me, oh, it's so trendy. I was like, it's about freaking time. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's only trendy because we haven't been talking about it. Or and because we been... have so many issues now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if we can begin to address some of those issues in the yoga practice, like everybody's going to be, you know, better off. Mm-hmm. And not mm-hmm. just the women, but the the people that they're partnered with, if they have, mm-hmm. if they have, you know, intimate partners and, you know, that it definitely, if you have pelvic floor muscle function, dysfunction, it can absolutely affect your intimate relationships. It can absolutely have a profound impact on your own sexuality and sensuality and, and being able to tap into that creative side is so so, so important. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the suppleness and you also mentioned quickly the link between um, the pelvic floor and the diaphragm. Can you talk a bit about the link between the pelvic floor and the nervous system? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you think about the the psoas. So the psoas muscle basically attaches right underneath the diaphragm, right? Mm-hmm. And then runs down the spine over the pelvis and, and attaches the femurs. Mm-hmm. So that muscle is like, you know, we, we, we call it like feeling tissue. So it's not just like, uh, uh, your bicep, you know, it is definitely a muscle that is intimately, intricately, uh, intrinsically, <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to think of all the words, um, involved in our, um, our, autonomic nervous system, our, our fight or flight response, our relaxation response in the body. Mm-hmm. And so those muscles will absolutely affect the position of the pelvis and that will absolutely affect pelvic floor muscle function. If the, the psoas is whacked out, whether it's tight 
or dysfunctional um, that absolutely can impact the nervous system, which can absolutely impact the, the muscles deep within our pelvis. So, you know, everything, everything absolutely is connected. Mm -hmm. I always say that the, the psoas is like the, the, the railroad tracks for the baby to follow, to go into the pelvis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so important for pregnant women also to have kind of an understanding of, um, how that like relaxation response can absolutely affect their uterus's capacity to nourish and feed their baby through the placenta, of course. So, you know, it's all very much connected. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the biggest obstacle? You mentioned like misinformation and miseducation, but when it comes to pelvic floor health, I know you do guided audio classes to help people find it and reconnect to it and visualize it. Do you think that's like the biggest issue? Like they don't even have a relationship to it to start with? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, so much of what I do with my students is that I help them build like a brain map to their pelvic floor and, and to the muscles, you know, all the connective tissue in the pelvis, because the truth is, is, you know, many women feel very disconnected mm -hmm. from their pelvises and that, you know, and maybe for good reason, maybe there's trauma or just, you know, they've been, you know, shamed around their body and how our, and, and how our, you know, external genitalia look. I mean, like their sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So it's, it's, it's really complicated But I do feel like, you know, helping women find that kind of literally like their seat of power mm. is, is in the pelvis and helping women tap into that can be empowering for themselves and can manifest in other places in their lives. You know, if you're shut down and that part of your body, it absolutely is going to Uh, negatively affect um, other other aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. So helping women to connect to that place, to embrace our bodies. I mean, something as like foundational and, you know, I know for some people will be like, oh, that's weird. But like literally looking at yourself, like mm -hmm. get a hand mirror, put it between your legs and look at your body. And, you know, And then like, I'm saying that and if the person listening, the, the people out there, if somebody has like a, ooh, like, ooh, <laughs> you I really don't need do to do it. <laughs> well, well, but then, but then I would maybe invite them to look at why they have that response. Uh -huh. And I would argue that it's cultural, that it's cultural. We're told that our vaginas and our labias and our vulvas are ugly, you know, uh -huh. and that's. That's a cultural conditioning. I mean, the truth is you think men spend a lot of time like manicuring their penises and their hair around their penises because they think their penises don't look good. No, yeah. they do not. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a certain subset of dudes who do, but mostly they don't. But women, what do we do? We remove the hair and we, you know, women go so far as like, getting plastic surgery on their yeah. labia and bleaching their assholes or like whatever. I mean, that is so crazy. It's so crazy. And I think that so much of kind of that misunderstanding of kind of what women's bodies looks like is 
is exacerbated by the porn industry. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. If Mm -hmm. you have a woman's body that looks prepubescent, like, and everybody thinks that that's what their bodies are supposed to look like. And then there's this, you know, effort to take all the hair off and do all these crazy manipulations. Um, You know, like, if you're in that place of not liking your body, and I'm not saying, like, don't get your Brazilian wax, whatever. You can do whatever you want. I don't really (laughs) care. I don't really care what people do. But, you know, I'm speaking specifically to the person who, when I suggested that they look at their body and they look down there and they go, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I think that that is already a a disconnect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that's a good first step. Yeah. Do you (laughs) have a, go ahead. Embracing yourself, you know, loving Mm -hmm. yourself. So it's, it's a hard leap for a lot of us to take, but I, I think it can be really empowering. Yeah, I agree. Do you have an example of movement or breath technique or sh- like a quick visualization people or listeners could do to start building more awareness or even vitality yeah. in that part of the body? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, finding a, a comfortable seat so that you can maintain the length of your spine, whether you're sitting in a chair, or you're sitting on the floor, eyes can close and then just bring some awareness to your breath. Start there. Mm-hmm. And then just notice how your diaphragm moves. And I like to think of it, and I use this visual because I think it's beautiful, (laughs) is you think of your diaphragm almost like a jellyfish, right? Mm -hmm. So your diaphragm, as you inhale, descends. As you exhale, it lifts back up. Letting that kind of dynamic quality expand into your belly. So your diaphragm is actually the driver of the breath. Sometimes people will cue belly breathing and they'll, 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 they'll cue from just the belly. Well, the belly is actually responsive to the movement of the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. So you allow there to be that, um, that responsiveness. And then as you continue to, to take that inhale, feeling the pelvic floor muscles actually releasing down, right? So mirroring the, the movement of the diaphragm so as you inhale and the diaphragm, the respiratory diaphragm comes down, the pelvic floor muscles expand and, and basically take the load of the pelvic organs, which are being pushed on by the abdominal organs, which are being pushed on by the diaphragm. So feeling that sense of kind of expansion. Mm-hmm. And then as you exhale and the diaphragm lifts back up, those pelvic floor muscles lift up. So you get that kind of responsiveness and actually visualize, visualize that function. So what we know is that when we visualize muscle function, we get more activation. Hmm. Now, any professional athlete will tell you that, you know, they, you know, those gymnasts would like go over those routines a million times in their head. Mm -hmm. You know, they're visualizing every single movement of their body so it's in their cells so when we're visualizing the the breath tie it into the movement of what's sometimes called the pelvic diaphragm so you're actually breathing into your pelvis you're breathing vitality you're breathing creativity you're breathing energy all the way down into your pelvis so that there can be that receptivity that's so 
important. So mm. that visual of the diaphragm moving down, the ribs will open up, the lower ribs will open, belly expands, there's a load on the pelvic floor as you inhale. And then when you exhale, as the diaphragm lifts up, the load on the pelvic floor is released, right? So we call it like a recoiling of the pelvic floor muscles. They release down and then kind of come back up. I like to think of the pelvic floor like a, um, like a trampoline. Mm-hmm. And that it's, you know, some people will say the pelvic floor is like a hammock. I'm like, do not use that visual. Because when you think of a hammock, what do you think? <laughs> it's really hanging. Like, do not, yeah, you think hanging. Like that is a terrible visual. <laughs> For the pelvic floor, that's like your pelvic organs at your knees. Like, do not think about your <laughs> pelvic floor like a hammock. Think of it as a dynamic trampoline responsive to your breath. Oh, I like that. That was super <laughs> useful. Um, oh, good. <laughs> anything else you'd like to add before we wrap it up? If there's one thing you'd like people to leave this conversation with, what would it be? Um, you know, I, I guess it would be be kind to yourself mm. and 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 know that like as women our bodies are always in transition mm-hmm. you know and and honor where you are in your life in your cycle and you know i tell my mamas you know that you have your entire life to do yoga you don't have to do everything today mm. so just Using that inquiry to find practices that are appropriate for you and don't let the shoulds guide your practice. Love it. Like should, you should do something like forget that. I always say my yoga classes are a should free zone. No shoulds allowed. If you have shoulds and you must, you know, let them go now and then pick them up on your way out if you need them for sure. But I invite you to let them go completely. That's awesome. I'll put all your infos in the show notes. But in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to study with you, if they want to train with you or come and take a class? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at janeaustinyoga.com. Great. And I'm at Prenatal Yoga with Jane Austin on Facebook. I'm Jane Austin Yoga on Instagram. And uh, if you go to my website and you want to get my newsletter, please do that. Um, and I always put out lots, lots of information. Um, I do trainings in San Francisco for prenatal twice a year, always March and October. So I just finished my March one a couple of months ago, got October. So that's those dates have been set for, you know, all the way up to 2021, like 20 and <laughs> 2020, 2021 are already set. Great. Um, I'm definitely open to take my show on the road. I've taught internationally. I've taught my trainings internationally. So if there's any studio owners that are interested in bringing a prenatal training, um, definitely um, contact me. Mm-hmm. You can also check out um, uh, my upcoming pelvic floor teacher training. Woo-hoo! So 2020, <laughs> all the info is on my website. So go check it out. I will check it out for sure. Thank you so much for your time. This was so interesting. Oh, cool. Thank you. And I just loved, love, love, love your questions. Your questions were insightful and informed. And it was just, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening. We have other great guests coming up, so make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any. Now, if you want to make my day, help other people find this podcast and or get your chance to win a $75 shop card from Athleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on the podcast app of your iPhone, scroll down on the show's page and click the link, write a review. As you leave a review, you automatically enter our giveaway. You don't have to do anything else. And I announce the winner on the next episode after a random draw. If you're newer to reviews and you want more detailed instruction, check out the show notes. You'll also find there more info about our guest of today, Jane Austen. And you can also visit my website for those two things at ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast. Our last episode was also supported by Athleta. Thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is iTunes user Embraced Yogi. Embraced Yogi said, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to the podcast with Erica interviewing Jai Utal. Very well planned, great questions, observed Jai's responses as well. It was interesting, inspiring, and intriguing. Looking forward to going back from the start one by one and listening to them all. See guys, it's that simple. Thanks, Embrace Yogi, for your comment. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on social media and I'll send you your shop cards. Now, at the same email, guys, don't forget to send me your questions for our first member exclusive episode. What do you want to know about me? Before we go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba, working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, guys, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time.